So yeah, when you do fellowship time, it tends to, we like to fellowship, let's put it that way. It's hard to, were you, were you doing this for your wife's benefit? <laughs> uh, it's good, it's good. It's good to be back. Um, Freddie Anderson was here last week. Is Ariel here this morning? Ariel here? Not here? That's Ariel's daddy, and he did a fabulous do- job last week. I watched online, and my favorite part is when he really got revved up, and he said, he said, y'all may not recognize good preaching, but I do. I'm going to amen myself, and I like that. I like that. So feel free to amen this morning if you hear something that, that you believe the Lord is speaking, but it's good to be back. You can follow along in the bulletin. There's a sermon outline or you version, a free app for your phone or mobile device. We're on there as well under events, Preston Crest. Follow along there as well. Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you this morning to Planet Perfect. On Planet Perfect, you only get to go in to see the dentist if your teeth are perfect. You're only admitted to have your eyes checked at the optometrist if you pass the test and have 20-20 vision. On Planet Perfect, marriage counselors only serve couples who have no conflict. On Planet Perfect, you can only be admitted into the hospital if you can prove that you have a clean bill of health. After all, we wouldn't want any of the healthy people in the hospital to get a sickness from you. On Planet Perfect, the church exists for those who've cleaned their lives up, who've got it all together. Planet Perfect, in many respects, is the world of the first century Pharisee. And in Mark chapter 2, we will have an encounter with this world as they come head to head with Jesus. For the Pharisees, salvation is for the saintly, religion for the righteous, God is for the good. Now let me say this, because I don't want to come across this morning as bashing the Pharisees. The Pharisees meant well. The Pharisees were good people, I mean it, they were good. They loved God very much, and they loved the Bible with all their hearts. They were good people. They wanted people like you and I. They wanted us to be holy. They wanted us to be good. They wanted for followers of God to keep themselves separate from contamination with the world. And all of these things are noble. All of these ideals are good. But the rub, though, is this. People with problems, folks with addictions or hang-ups... They weren't welcome in God's presence. And they certainly weren't welcome in the presence of the Pharisees themselves. They sort of saw themselves as spiritual umpires, as spiritual referees. They knew the rule book, the scriptures, like the back of their hand. And their job was to make sure that everyone was following the rules. And what they ended up with, despite their good intentions, was a religion that pushed people away from God instead of drawing people to God. Thus the conflict in Mark chapter 2. God shows up. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is in their neighborhood. And conflict is inevitable. 
Now, I'm calling what happens the umpire strikes back, okay? Because up to this point, up to chapter 2 in Mark, Jesus has been doing great ministry. We've been watching him do ministry. But when we get to Mark chapter 2, it's the Pharisees' turn, right? The rule keepers are going to blow the whistle on Jesus. They're going to throw some penalty flags. They're going to try to get Jesus out of the game. Remember, it starts when he heals the paralyzed man, but before he does that, he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are like, wait, only God can forgive sins. And then we get to Levi in chapter 2 of Mark, and things reach a fever pitch because Jesus, he's, he's just walking around the, the shores of Galilee with this crowd that's following, crowds follow people who can do miracles, by the way. So they're following Jesus, and he comes to a tax collection booth that is manned by a tax collector, a fellow named Levi. Um, And he says, hey, Levi, son of Alphaeus, follow me. And Levi, right then, right there, makes a decision to follow Jesus to be his disciple. Well, on Planet Perfect... Levi is not welcome. His profession is the most loathed and disdained of any. They are known for their corruption. They are known for extorting money from people. Most of all, they are known from their collaboration with the enemy. While he's Jewish, he works for the Romans. He is a persona non grata on planet perfect. So Levi decides to follow Jesus. And you know the Pharisees are thinking, what is going on here? And then what does Levi do? He decides to throw a party. And it is a big party. His house is packed with people. People just like Levi. I love how Mark describes this in chapter 2, verse 15. At this party, he says, there were many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Many tax collectors and disreputable sinners, this certainly did not fit with Planet Perfect. So here's the reaction from the Pharisees, verses 16 and 70. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? I like the new living here. I think that's the feel. I really do. Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are not. Check this out. Jesus didn't come to planet perfect. Jesus came to our neck of the woods. He came to this planet. And Jesus was, according to Matthew and Luke, he was, quote-unquote, Jesus, the friend of sinners. I love that. The friend of sinners. And it's funny... If we didn't know all the history, you've probably read the New Testament before. You know what's going to happen in this rivalry, in this competition with Jesus and Pharisee. If you hadn't read that, you would believe that Jesus and the Pharisees were a match made in heaven. After all, they they want to establish planet perfect. And here, in Jesus Christ, is the only person to ever have lived who lived a perfect life. Right? Right? I mean, he should be, wow, 
welcome Jesus. But that's not the way it worked. Why? Because Jesus magnetically attracted people with problems. Jesus was constantly surrounded with disreputable people, with sinners. Why? He loved them. And they knew he loved them. And they were drawn to him. Back to the Pharisees. As the scene unfolds here in chapter 2, the Pharisees, in their job as spiritual referees, are going to blow the whistle on Jesus. They're going to call three separate penalties. Got to have my penalty marker here. (laughs) The first penalty that they call, this is on your outline this morning. You can write this one down. The godly must avoid association with sinners. That was a hard and fast rule for the Pharisees. Godly people do not mix with sinful people. And for the, for the Pharisees, there were two categories of people. There were good people, there were bad people, and those two did not associate with each other. So they called essentially illegal contact on Jesus. Not supposed to be rubbing elbows with the sinners. So the, origi- the, the religious elite, right, they value separation, And Jesus is mixing with every kind of person. So for the Pharisees, flag on the play when he's showing up at at Levi's house at this party. They're going to blow the whistle on that. Penalty number two. The godly must fast. Jesus' disciples were not fasting. Obviously, they're not godly people. Verse 18. How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, Jesus, but yours are not? Obviously, they are not good people. They are not saintly people. Now, the Pharisees, they majored in the minors. They were masters of the rule book. They prided themselves on following God's rules down to the smallest detail. That was their thing, you know. We do it all exactly right. Regular fasting was part of that, okay? But no one ever saw Jesus' disciples fasting. I mean, even a cursory look at the Gospels. If you've read the Gospels before, what are Jesus and his disciples doing constantly? It is party after party. It is feast after feast. I mean, the guy's very first miracle is bailing out a party that ran out of wine, right? The Pharisees were not too keen on that. Now, fasting is this habit of of self-deprivation, It mattered to the Pharisees as an issue of personal piety. So they blew the whistle on Jesus and his disciples because they did not value it like they should. The third and final penalty that the Pharisees will call is the godly follow. Number three, the godly follow Sabbath rules absolutely. Verse 24, look. Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They're going to call that one. This is not right. What you're dis- now, what were the disciples doing? Well, they're walking around in different areas, a very rural part of the world up there, and, and they're hungry, so to get a snack, there's fields with grain, so they're picking off some grain, and they're eating it. Ah, they are working on the Sabbath. They are breaking the rules. They are breaking 
the rules. We're not talking about ritual. We're not talking about custom. We're not talking about tradition. We're talking about honor the Sabbath. We're talking about one of those rules that God carved in stone and gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. One of the rules, one of the Ten Commandments. And his disciples are eating, are, are, are working, are, are harvesting grain on the Sabbath. So yeah, they threw a flag. Now one thing I would like to point out that's pretty obvious, the Pharisees were not interested in giving Jesus the benefit of the doubt. They said, eyeball test, we see what he's doing, that's wrong. They were not interested in thinking, maybe, just maybe... God is doing something a little different over here in the ministry of this rabbi, Jesus, in order to reach people. They weren't interested in considering that. And here's where things really get interesting. When the whistle blows here, you might expect an appeal to the replay booth, or you might expect Jesus to plead his innocence to the referees, but the exact opposite happens. After the Pharisees throw this flag, Jesus says, okay, Come with me. And they go over to the synagogue, the local house of worship. And what does Jesus do? He calls out a man who has a deformed hand, and he says, come here. And here's what happens. Mark 3, 3 to 4. Jesus said to the man, come and stand in front of everyone. He wants this to be very public. This is what you might call a flagrant foul, okay? Jesus said to the man, come and stand in front of everyone. And he turned to his critics and asked, I love the questions Jesus asks. I mean, how are you going to answer this if you're a Pharisee? Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save life? Or to destroy life. But they wouldn't answer him. They wouldn't answer him. And Mark tells us in verse 5, Jesus, because of their unwillingness to answer, because of their hard hearts, Jesus was angry and sad. They wouldn't answer him because on planet perfect, the rules could never ever be broken and it breaks the Lord's heart when believers see their calling as that of referees when they are masters of the rule book but don't care about people and believe me the Pharisees were masters of the rule book they knew them better than anyone else so here's kind of the takeaway And this is on your outline this morning. Jesus put people ahead of procedures. Jesus put people over procedures. And this drove the Pharisees nuts. And you can follow this story, this thread throughout the Gospels. They are constantly infuriated by Jesus, by the way he breaks their rules. Verse 27. Jesus says, on the issue of the Sabbath... He says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. Essentially, Sabbath is a good thing. God knows us. He knows that we need rest. He knows that we need time to reflect. He knows that we need a day to worship, to connect with Him. We need Sabbath. 
But what happened is Sabbath got flipped. Instead of this beautiful gift of God serving us, instead of it being a blessing, it became a burden. There's so many rules to keep on Sabbath. It is so hard to keep Sabbath. We began serving the Sabbath instead of the Sabbath serving us. Now, back to that other one, fasting. Fasting is a good thing. This spiritual discipline of denying yourself something, it can deepen your walk with the Lord. It can take you into a richer fellowship with God. On the other hand... When spirituality becomes a competition, our group fasts, John's group fasts, your group, not quite as spiritual. Y'all aren't fasting. When it becomes a competition, that is something ugly. And also, when spirituality, listen closely, when spirituality becomes an end in itself... It causes us to neglect what spirituality is intended to do. Make us more like Jesus. Amen? Spirituality is to make you more like Jesus. More like the one who attracted sinners. More like the one who loved them, who spent time with them, who poured into their lives. And then this part about associating with sinners. Look, we are called to be holy. We are called to separate ourselves from the greed, from the materialism, from the selfishness, from the hostility in the world around us. But we're not called to disengage from our mission as a people of light, connecting with those who are lost, those who have those who are hurting and helping them find their way back to God. Well, on Planet Perfect, there was never a time to rub elbows with sinners. There was never a time to soften a bit on a rule. And sadly, this meant the Pharisees could not be used by God in his mission of redeeming lost people. They were reffing the game so they couldn't be part of the game. Now, I grew up, I'll be honest with you, I grew up thinking that Christianity was about being a referee. I did. The more you mastered the rule book, the more spiritual you were. The more you knew the Bible cover to cover, the more mature you were in your discipleship. And also, as a referee, yes, your job was to blow the whistle was to point out all of the infractions of the other people, of the other groups, of the other churches. That was your calling. And the more you did that, the more spiritual you were. And that's how I saw things. Truth is, Jesus never called us to put on the striped shirts and blow the whistle. We're supposed to get in the game, not police it. Amen? You have to get involved to make an impact. No one ever celebrates the win-loss record of the referee, right? So Jesus, this is on the outline as well, Jesus calls us to get in the game and touch lives, not to be masters of the rule book. Now, don't hear me wrong. I want you to master the Bible. I want you to know it backwards and forwards. Your calling, though, is not to be a master of the rule book. It's not to be a referee, okay? 
James 1.22, I love what James writes here. Do not merely listen to the word. Don't just be a knower of the word. Do what it says. Yeah. Which, to be clear, let's, let's just kind of pause here. The Bible is not really a rule book. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, Jesus says, All of it, cover to cover, the law and the prophets, the whole shooting match is all about two things. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it's all about. And then Jesus to the Pharisees is going to tell them two stories about stretching yourself. One of them is a story about patching a torn garment, you know, like a patch, a new bit of material that, that could be sewn onto a, a garment. He tells that story. Then he tells a story about some wine, some new wine, and two kinds of wine skins. That's how they contained wine back then. You had new ones that were flexible and, and supple, and then you had older wine skins that were just rigid and hard. And essentially, both of those short little parables are about being flexible about spiritual stretchability because we don't live on planet perfect. We live in the real world, world where people have problems, where people are messed up, where people struggle with sin, where people need grace. And this made the Pharisees uneasy. And honestly, from time to time, it makes me a little uneasy too. But here's the thing. People matter to God. Would you say that with me? People matter to God. That explains what's going on here. It really does. And to connect with real people in the real world, some flexibility is required. For the Pharisees, planet perfect had no plasticity to it. Their faith had no flexibility to it. And here is why, let me get down to the down to where the rubber meets the road here. Here's why this matters right now for us. Because our friends in South Dallas and East Dallas, they matter to God. Your neighbors across the street or in your HOA, they matter to God. Your grandkids and your children, they matter to God. And if these people who God loves, are going to be reached with the good news, then we're going to have to be led by His Spirit, and sometimes we may have to rethink some things. And we may have to care enough about that person to just let love lead. Sadly, what often happens? The faithful retreat into their fortresses. The Christians escape into their churches. The world is changing so fast and there is so much bad news that everyone hears about that we can get into this bunker mentality and we can begin lobbing penalty flags on Facebook or social media or in our conversations with each other about all of the bad things that are going on out there in the world. Look, Jesus didn't come to... Jesus didn't come down to planet perfect. He came down to our world. He came to this broken down, sin-stained world to save sinners like you and me. That's why it's called the good news, folks. That's good news. So will we be that church 
that lives out the good news and has an impact for Christ in our mission field of Dallas. I'm going to close by telling you about my friend Edson. Edson came to church in Rio when we were planting the church there. It's been a number of years now. Edson was not a Christian, but Edson very much enjoyed friendships at the church, fellowshipping with us, and he loved our service projects. He would get in there and he would He'd work up a sweat with the rest of us as we did projects out in the community. He had a real heart of gold, 50-something guy, kind of rough around the edges, but heart of gold truck driver. And our church loved Edson just like he loved us. One morning, Edson and I were alone together, and we had a chance to talk. And I just said, Edson, isn't it about time you made a decision to follow Jesus? And I'll never forget what Edson said. He said, the problem is I can't be baptized. And I was like, can't be baptized. You have a water allergy or something I need to know about? He said, no, I can't be baptized because I still smoke. And obviously, he thought that was going to be a stunning, scandalous revelation, a real deal breaker for me. And I think I kind of chuckled. I couldn't help myself because everybody knew the guy smoked. I mean, come on. Come on, Edson. He explained... I've been told I can't become a Christian. I can't be baptized until I quit, and I keep trying to quit, and I can't. And I said, Edson, I don't know where you got that from, and I would love for you to quit smoking, but don't let that get in the way of you accepting Jesus' invitation to you. His shoulders kind of dropped, and he looked defeated, and I was like, what's going on now? And he said, but Jesus can't accept me until I repent, so I have to quit smoking. And I said, brother, repentance means you agree with Jesus, that you are a sinner, that you need his help in order to change. That's what repentance is about. I said, brother, repentance is all about accepting Jesus' grace for you. I said, Edson, we don't get baptized because we've made ourselves perfect. We get baptized because we can't. We get baptized because we know that his forgiveness and his strength are what we need most of all. I said, Edson, Jesus is your only hope. He's our only hope. And he was baptized that morning, and he's never looked back. And so this morning, I don't know what's holding you back from following Christ. I do want you to know this. In the last 2,000 years, nobody, not a single person, has ever decided to follow Jesus who was not a sinner. Amen? Nobody. Not you, Edson. Not Levi. Not Peter. Not Paul. Not Gordon. No one. Everyone who has ever made that decision to put on Christ is a sinner. And that's why, they're, that's why they fall into the arms of Jesus. And I don't know what's holding you back, but I believe the Lord is calling you right now. Will you listen to Him? Will you follow Him? Will you put Him on in baptism? And if there's any other need that we can help you with this morning, we would love to do that. Also, if you want to just pray with someone, please feel free to do that as well. Let's rest- respond by standing and worshiping together.